Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining Michigan Minds. I'm really excited to have the opportunity to talk with you today. So can you start by introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Hi, I'm happy to be here also. My name is Lakeisha Simmons. I'm an associate professor of history and women and gender studies. I also am an affiliate faculty for DAS, which is the Department of Afro-American and African Studies here at the university. Thank you. And in what areas does your research focus? My expertise is as a historian of Black women. And my research interests are really along three lines. I'm interested in the history of race, gender, and age. And by age, I guess I mean that I'm really interested in, in the life course. And so um, I'm interested in what it was like to be a young person at a particular time in history or a mother um, or an elderly person at, in a particular time and place. And my research is really focused on the history of experiences of racism and sexism in particular times and places. I mostly focus on the U.S. South. Thank you. The award-winning book you authored titled Crescent City Girls, The Lives of Young Black Women in Segregated New Orleans offers a rare look into Black girls' personal lives and what it was like for them to grow up in the segregated South. Can you tell us a bit about the research process for this book and how you used oral histories, the Black and White Press, social workers and police reports, girls fiction writing, and photography to tell stories of individual girls? Yeah, um, when I started the research for Crescent City Girls, I was really interested in the question, what did it feel like to be a young girl during segregation, to grow up learning or knowing that you were a second-class citizen? What did it feel like to grow up with that kind of state-sponsored racism and sexism. And when I first started doing the research, I went into the historical archives, I went to libraries, and I looked under the category or label of, of children. And uh, inside of the archive, I realized that when I went to look for children, particularly their lives in the 1930s and 1940s, it was only white children. Uh, when the archivists wrote down children or when the people making the documents wrote down children, they didn't mean Black children. So I realized really quickly that the archive itself is segregated. <laughs> that might seem obvious, but it wasn't obvious to me at the time when I started. And so I realized that I would have to think about archival research differently and collect a lot of different types of sources. And so that's what I did. I kind of sort of became like a quilter and looked for any scraps of Black girls' lives and what they left behind in order to reconstruct their worlds and thoughts and feelings during that time. And so I found them hiding um, almost in plain sight, 
whether that was in newspaper articles or in police records or in social workers' records who were working at after-school programs or finding poems that they had written. And of course, oral histories became really important, talking with elderly women who had gone through that experience, who had been kids in the 1930s and um, were open to telling me about their life story. And it, it was through those conversations that I became really interested in geography and space as a way to understand uh, people's lives and children's lives in particular. You know, the neighborhoods that we grow up in and the way that we experience the world is really informed by the places around us and how we navigate our neighborhoods and, and our cities um, or our towns. And so um, I added to my research mapping techniques and census data that helped me figure out and map the city of New Orleans during Jim Crow segregation. Wonderful, thank you. The Global History of Black Girlhood is a book you co-edited in which contributors engage in interdisciplinary conversation that considers what it means to be a girl, the meaning of Blackness when seen from the perspectives of girls in different times and places, and the ways Black girls have imagined themselves as part of global African diaspora. Can you tell us a bit about the inspiration and process of publishing this book? Yes, this, this book was a delight to work on. Um, the Global History of Black Girlhood actually started ooh, about probably a decade ago. I mean, it wasn't quite that long, but it feels like a long time ago at a conference with um, a few other scholars and friends of mine um, who we were sitting around a table discussing our work on Black girlhood, and we were all working on Black girls in different times and places. And um, another scholar who's a, a history of African girlhood, Abbasetti George, said, I don't know if the way I think about Blackness is the same as how you all who do African-American history think about Blackness, particularly in girls' lives. How important is Blackness um, to girls in, in different spaces rather than in the United States? And that got me and um, a friend of mine, Corey Field, who's a professor at University of Virginia, thinking a lot about how we could host more conversations about that question and think more about the history of Black girlhood from different perspectives. The history of Black girlhood and Black girls' studies is a huge growing field of study. And there are many scholars, not just historians, but people in communication studies, people in education, people in many different fields of studies who have become interested in studying Black girls' lives. And many of them focus on African-American girls. And so Corey and I really just wanted to, to push scholars who work about Black girls to think bigger and more broadly about Black girls' lives across the globe, though, so including in Africa and in Europe and in Latin America and the Caribbean. And we thought that in doing that, we would come to understand, you know, what is particular to the United States? Um, what are some of the things that 
are transnational trends that Black girls might have conversations about across oceans? Um, and then what are some misunderstandings or ways that, you know, Blackness doesn't travel? And so we thought, let's start having these conversations with other scholars. And we ended up hosting a series of conferences on the global history of Black girlhood, engaging a lot of different kinds of scholars and artists and young people in these questions. And from those conferences, we made this book called The Global History of Black Girlhood, which um, includes scholarly articles about Black girls' lives across the globe. It also includes art and writing from, from artists and, and poets, and also includes in the back some questions for people who, who work with high schoolers or, or young people, a series of kind of questions and also exercises that they can do to be their own scholars of Black girlhood, their own archivists, kind of collecting the stuff of Black girlness, and also their own kind of thinkers and philosophers about what it means to be a Black girl in the world today. Thank you. Um, what are a few key lessons or findings that you hope people take away from this work? I think one of the things that my work tries to do is help us think about the ways in which racism and sexism are felt in individual bodies. I'm really interested, not just in systems, like the way racism works, I am interested in that, but I'm not just interested in systems. I'm also super interested in understanding people. And in my research, I am always trying to think about how to center the people and not necessarily the system. And so I think for me, um, one of the things I hope people take from it is seeing the effects of racism and sexism on individual lives. Thank you. You're currently working on a new book on the history of Black motherhood, which explores reproductive health and histories of love and loss in Black families during the 19th century. Can you talk a little bit about this research? Yes, yeah, so I'm working on a new book project. It's tentatively titled Labor, Love, and Loss, Black Women, Their Children, and the Ancestors. And it's about the ways in which Black women take care of each other in the transition from slavery to freedom, focusing on the 19th century. And in each chapter, I focus on particular families and think about issues such as infant care, um, how were infants and babies and children being cared for during the Civil War, for example, when there was a ton of trauma and upheaval and sickness? And how during that time did Black women seek to take care of their children as they were fleeing um, towards freedom and um, facing a new life with a ton of uncertainty, for example. The book also follows families to better understand how after the war, elders were taken care of, elderly folks who could no longer work or care for themselves, who had 
grown up most of their life enslaved. And just thinking about who in the community was there to take care of those folks um, and seeing those kind of moments of tenderness between Black women at these really important moments in their lives. Um, thinking about child care or elder care also leads us to think specifically about issues such as labor, um, because just as this is about caring for one another in our own families, it's also a big job that people have to do, right? To take care of one another, to sustain themselves and their family members, especially at a time when many African-Americans didn't have access to a lot of economic funds um, and were also working hard to support their families. So a lot of times when we think about black women in the 19th century, we think about them taking care of other people like white families as domestics and white families, for example. But my book is really about how they were taking care of their own families during this time. Thank you. March is Women's History Month. What does Women's History Month mean to you? I think I've always been so interested and steeped into uh, the history of women and gender. And for me, Women's History Month is all year long. <laughs> I think Women's History Month is a good reminder for us that women, and I would even go as far to argue girls and children of all genders have a history. And sometimes we don't think uh, that's true. And in fact, a lot of times when people talk about things such as women's history, they say, oh, that's social history or cultural history. And they don't realize that women are part of economic history, part of political history. Um, and so I think for me, what's important about Women's History Month is just realizing that women and children have histories and they're part of history, all histories, um, and not just a kind of special category of history. Thank you so much for that perspective. As our conversation comes to a close, what is one thing you hope listeners remember from our conversation today? Um, I hope they've enjoyed the conversation. <laughs> if they don't remember anything, that is okay. But I would say one thing that I hope listeners consider is just maybe going out and um, trying to choose a book about Black women's history or the history of the family and um, learning some more on their own about a topic that interests them. It doesn't have to be the work that I do, um, but I just think that I hope that it inspires people to, to read and learn more. Fantastic. Thank you so much. It has been an absolute honor to talk with you and learn from you today. So thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much. It was great to talk with you as well. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.